Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico from the Made in China podcast, doing the first ever video podcast coming from. Actually, not the first one. This is the first one that we're doing kind of like live, multiple camera angles. Very professional. Does it feel different? Uh, no, <laughs> not really. <laughs> I did one video podcast with uh, Harrison. It should be out by the time this comes out at the IFC. So this is right next to the IFC. This is the Park Hyatt. We are on the seventieth floor. Guangzhou, China, as Guangzhou, you can see. China, as you can see, Canton, Guangzhou, Ta, as the Chinese people call it. And yeah, like this is gonna be just a normal Made in China podcast, except we're having a couple of drinks on our rooftop, and that's awesome. It's colder than it looks, also. Right. Who are you, gentlemen? You haven't introduced yourself. Oh, sorry, everybody. <laughs> how are you? My name is Mike, sometimes known as China Mike. Now Chang Mike. Yeah, been living in Chiang Mai, so it's、uh, rare to find me on these Guangzhou streets. But back hanging out with Rico, and yeah, we just wanted to talk to you guys for a little bit about a new thing we got going on. We're doing a meetup.、Uh, we're calling it the Sourcing Table. I've been doing this every two weeks in Chiang Mai, and it's just a, a, a meetup where we usually bring in a guest speaker for for each one of the meetups. But we're talking about All things product development, brand development, online marketing and advertising, just anything to do with、uh, the type of business that that, that we're in, and、um, we're really looking to to blow this thing out and take it with us wherever we go. So we have aspirations within the next calendar year between the two of us.、Uh, I know we've been talking about going back to the states, Chicago, L.A., Florida, as well as.、Um, Going to Africa. We're talking about going to Zambia, possibly Medellin, Colombia. So this is something that we really hope. Philippines. Philippines as well, yeah. And maybe both of us will be in one location. Maybe it'll just be one of us. But this is something that we want to take with us wherever we go. And、um, at the moment, we're trying to to let people know not only about the physical meetups but the online groups as well. So we've、uh, started a Facebook group. As well as a Facebook Messenger group where we're talking to people day to day. People post questions. You know, we put up interesting articles, maybe things that we're doing day to day for our sourcing business, and just trying to get people engaged and share information with like-minded people who are in the same realm of business. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. How did you come up with the idea? Well, I would say my motivation for for starting this was that I was living in Chiang Mai, but I hadn't really integrated into the community that much, you know. So I just I knew that there was all these digital nomads in Chiang Mai doing tons of cool shit, and I just wanted to be a part of that community. There's meetups all the time in Chiang Mai, and、um, you know I just wanted to start putting myself out there a little bit more, talking about what we do. Getting to know other people who are in the in the same line of work as us, and and that's what it's been up to this point. It's been it's been awesome, man. We've had five meetups to this point.、Um, we had really good guests come and talk.、Uh, Michael Michelini, who I'm sure a lot of you guys know, was there in Chiang Mai talking.、Uh, we had Don Wilder, who's a good friend of mine, had a fantastic meetup、uh, about crowdfunding and product development. And、um, yeah, that, that was that was the motivation to get it started. And then once we had one or two meetups, we got a really good response from the people there, and we just wanted to keep it moving. I think there's two videos up of sourcing table, like that, that you spliced together little clips.、Right? For sure, yeah, we did just little promo cuts for the following meetup, and、uh, we're in process of editing the full sourcing meetups as well as.、Um, You know, little short videos that I did, just just kind of in preparation for those those meetups. So then, you've done five. What if? Well, how has it changed since the first the first meetup? Just more people, more engagement. You know, more people are contacting me about going.、Um, you know, I really try to make it open ended. So we'll have a topic. We'll have somebody who's who's coming to talk about a specific aspect of product development or crowdfunding, but we try to keep it open ended. You know, so that people can. Talk about what they have going on. We always try to get everybody else's、uh, input, 
quick background as to who they are, why they're at the meetup, what is something they're struggling with at the moment that the group could possibly help help with. But um, yeah, it's been cool. It's been cool to meet people, get different um, you know input on, on the type of things we're talking about. But I think probably for me, the most beneficial thing has been just to learn about all these different applications and, and programs and the out there that, that people are using for their business or to gain information about, about something that they're researching. That's That's been the really cool aspect of the meetup for me. So so far, Michael McLeavy spoken, mm-hmm. uh, who else has spoken? Myself. Don. The first two meetups was just me. Yeah. Uh, Don Wilder, Michael Michelini was there, and then the last meetup we did was just a round table, where it's like a mastermind where everybody just came to the table, explained was about Nick, Nick uh, Ramil. No, he wasn't. He wasn't able to go. He got there a couple days after that one. So, yeah. Uh, we have another meetup next Sunday? Next Sunday? Yeah, but we're just going to continue to roll them out. Where? What's the actual location? I think you changed location. So, no, right now we've been going out of a co-working space in Chiang Mai. It's called Hub 53. It's a co-living, co-working space. It's, um, I think they've only been going for about like six months or something, but the, the, the boss lady who, who runs the place, she's really cool. She's open to all kinds of different meetups, and she helps me to promote the meetups a little bit, so that's where we've been. But it's a uh, It's small, can't hold so many people. I'd say max, like 30, so. I don't think that's a bad thing. Like, I remember when we were doing uh, the EC stuff, like, the spaces I was picking could only fit between 20 to 50 people. Mm-hmm. And I think at the beginning, like, having that intimate space, it kind of actually makes it seem like the event is bigger than it is. But at the same time, even just a little bit of exclusivity, because we, yeah, we were sure. charging admission as well for, uh, okay. for, the, for the event as well. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think that's bad at all. No, I think it's good. It, 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 people feel more comfortable. They feel like they can get more out of it, ask more direct questions, for sure. I've done some bigger meetups in Chiang Mai, and it does get a little little sleepy in there sometimes, you know, because it's just the speaker is talking the whole time, putting up slides, and there's not that much engagement. You know, they usually have, like, a, a Q&A after yeah. the hour-long talk, whereas we are more you know, engaging the entire conversation, it's, you, it's, it's better. Did you attend any of Michael McLean's stuff? Um, I've watched some of his stuff online and I was at in one... In Chiang Mai? No, I haven't been to anything he's done in Chiang Mai yet, but I was at one event in Shenzhen a while back. I know you guys connected, Did you? what did you talk about in terms of, like, potential collabs? Yeah, we're, we're just, we're, we're still getting there, you know? I think uh, Michael has a family and he just got well, to he, Chiang Mai, so it's been a... It's, It's been a, yeah, it's been a, a long adjustment process for him. But yeah, we've we've said. I mean, he came and did the one meetup, which was fantastic. He's. It was so cool to to listen to him talk. For me, you know, I'm sure some people got a lot of good information out of it. But for me, it was so interesting because he came to China the same time that I did, like yeah. 2007, 2008, and uh, Michael and Don as well have similar stories to me, in the sense that they just came here not really knowing what the hell they were doing and just kind of hacking it out, you yeah. know, and finding... He, he, he registered a Chinese company, like, his first year in China. Yeah, for sure. He got going like right he away. He realized he could have waited five years to do yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> and it just caused a lot of problems yeah. at the beginning. It was he, just way too he, he has so many funny stories and so many stories that him and Don told kind of kind of crossed crossed with, with mine. It was, it was cool. Did he do the presentation on, like, um, his first year in China? Um, I think he covered a lot more than his first year, but yeah, he got into you know why he went, the early days, uh, working out, uh, and stuff like yeah, and working out of the the apartment, selling and on Taobao, whatever. The first employees that he had, the one employee tried to get him in trouble with yeah. the with the workers bureau or whatever. That was it was it was a lot of fun to hear him talk. Yeah, and we got that one recorded actually, so we'll we'll, we'll chop it up, edit it down, and 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 release that soon enough. What's the what's the reception been like with people coming? Like, I'm interested because it's obviously a different crowd from China. And like the people, the entrepreneurs that you find in China who are doing manufacturing, they kind of. I find sometimes if you are not coming up with new, innovative, interesting topics to discuss around manufacturing, mm-hmm. a lot of it can just be like, yeah, like people just nodding their heads because they've been through For this sure. stuff. For sure. Yeah. If it's surface level stuff, but then at the same time, the people that are in Chiang Mai. Probably a lot of them haven't been to China, even though they're yeah. no, dealing with China. So. so I would say it's been mixed. We have about, excuse me, about half and half. 
half of the people that have been going, not only have they been to China, but they're experienced. You know, we got Luke Francis and, and Harrison have, have been Luke at, has been a regular. Not the regulars, but they, they've attended, you know. So we've dealt, and um, Ralph from, from China, all these guys, they've been to multiple meetups. So, I mean, that's cool as well, because they have a whole other perspective that they can, they can add to the current topic. But then we have a wide range of other guys that have been there. One guy was um, a software developer, and he just said that he was looking to get into other things, so he wanted to come. We had um, another guy who was doing... Stuff with um, not CrossFit. He was doing a, a martial MMA type type stuff, and and they were looking to expand into developing products. So he showed up. Um, a girl just came who was starting her own line of rock climbing clothes equipment. Um, but yeah, I would say a lot of people are super newbies and fresh, and some people were you know, had a lot of skin in the game. So we've gotten all kinds of different people, tons of different backgrounds. Um, we had a really cool couple from Sri Lanka come and, and they were they were super cool. So it's been a lot of fun. That's one thing about um, Chiang Mai. I feel like Guangzhou, there are a lot of foreigners, but it's difficult to get so much diversity in, in, one in one space quickly, I you know? More, I think uh, Guangzhou is a little bit more segregated. It is and way also, more segregated, also, for sure. Also, it's just bigger. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, like to get all those people in one place quickly to mobilize a, a cool group of eclectic people from all over the world to talk about different aspects of, of business, it's, it's not as easy. So that's why Chiang Mai is really unique. Yeah, I found that... Um, actually, I was going to ask, were there any Thai people? With, uh, we haven't had any Thai people yet. Where found, are you at, Thai people? I found that with our meetups that we were hosting before, it, like, I'll say it was 60% Chinese. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, we haven't had any Chinese. Chinese descent, but nobody from China. But I mean, I just, like, it was 60% locals. Like, yeah. Came yeah. Meetups, yeah. So partially because it was, like, interesting to go see what foreigners are talking about right but a lot of them were genuinely interested in like amazon and things like that that's actually one thing i'd like to talk about in chiang mai is just the relationship and the interaction between the locals and the digital nomad community because i feel like that's something that's just kind of been sprung on them in the past few years and I, i'd like to see how they feel about it you know yeah you should you should uh, try to get on the ground become a reporter <laughs> China Mike what China do you Mike think about me reporting from chiang mai life all right, so guys, we're going to go inside because it's pretty cold, as amazing as it is. I'm trying also. not to shake. Um, but yeah, with the rest of the podcast, we're going to be talking about China then and China now. Obviously, Mike's been in China since 2007. 2008. 2008. And then I've been in China since 2014. So I'm going to have like, just over four years now. I think I have I have my own like then and now story, and then like, you have yours. So yeah. uh, we'll see you inside. For sure. And also, we're going to post... Uh, some information with this video about how you can join the online group. Uh, we've got a Facebook group and, and uh, Facebook Messenger. Face, Facebook Messenger right now. So We'd you, also you really... Get, get approved to get on the Messenger. Yeah, you, can't you, get, just, get, you can't just jump in. You gotta go through a vetted process to be a part of this yeah. community. Same way we vet factories, we vet the people that join on Facebook. And we'd love to do a WeChat group too, but a lot of the people that, um, that I've been introduced to and have been dealing with in Chiang Mai don't use WeChat. So those of you who do, that's how we actually prefer to communicate. But we're gonna, like like we said, we're gonna be posting information, day-to-day um, -day type information, posting information about upcoming meetups. And then we're also looking to do some webinar type stuff where me or Rico, me and Rico, will be answering your questions uh, live on the spot. So. And may ask me anything. That's right, that's yeah. right. right. See you guys inside. What's up world, my name is Rico, I am the CEO of Sources Fine Asia and if you're wondering what we're going to be up to in 2019 besides me trimming my beard, we're looking to hire a marketing intern. So we're thinking for the summer, 2019 summer of course, two to three months in Guangzhou, maybe one month in Chiang Mai, Thailand where my business partner, formerly known as China Mike, now Chiang Mike is located. And basically we're looking for somebody that can help us improve and promote our content. So all of the stuff that you've been seeing on the YouTube channel, uh, social media management, things like that. And then more, I wanna make more day in the life type 
videos and then potentially in Chiang, in Chiang Mai, we're thinking about hosting uh, sort of sourcing, you know, big meetup over there. So if you're interested in applying, go to sourcefinasia.com slash intern. And I took a lot of time to write the details into that page about the job post and sort of my expectations. And you can apply through that page. So again, sourcefinasia.com slash intern. And I hope to see one of you guys, anybody's welcome to apply, but one of you guys in China this summer. And we're back. Uh, now we're inside. We're settled. It's nice and toasty in here. Got some new drinks. So let's jump into it. So, like, for you being in China, ten years. It's officially ten years. Like, a little bit over ten years. Two thousand eight. Chinese New Year, February two thousand eight. So it's almost eleven years. We're like one month, two months away. Let's now. say ten. Let's just say ten. <laughs> so ten years. What? I guess. What are the immediate like big differences? 10 years ago versus 2008 versus 2018. I feel oh like 2008, gosh. that was like, that's the year when they had the Olympics in Beijing. I yeah. feel like there's a lot of active changes that the government started to implement. Yeah. Um, I remember, I actually came in 2008. It was the first time I came to mainland China. Just in the summer with my mom. I missed you. Yeah. Missed you. Yeah. Missed you. Yeah. <laughs> but I was, I was in, I was in these Taojin streets. I was, okay. I was out there. Um, but yeah, I remember like uh, that time period, as a prompt for the Olympics, six months before, a year before, they had given some sort of education or like pamphlets and stuff to the public saying no spitting. Like, you know, those little things that were custom here that they're trying to prefer, prepare them to like interact with. So we talked a couple days ago about we were going to do this. I didn't put that much time into preparation because I was thinking, oh my God, I could talk about a million things, but now we're in the moment. I'm like, how am I going to narrow it down? There's so much that's changed since I got here. Um, so I would say just the biggest thing for me, and I don't want this to come off as super negative, but the biggest thing to me has just been the tightening up of the government on society you know just uh absolutely every aspect of life here is more controlled than when i first got here so my idea when i came to china was that i was going into the to the wild wild west you know no rules just this new frontier and i i, I feel like I did experience that for the most part, you know, I was kind of in on the tail end of it, but, um, you know, you wouldn't see, in Guangzhou, if you go through the streets now, just about every single street, there's a fence in the middle of the road. There wasn't one fence in all of Guangzhou on the middle of the road. You could walk anywhere at any time. You know, you're in Jujan Newtown, Hua uh, Chan Dadao. Uh, Guangzhou Dadao. Central Business District. That's Central Business District, one of the busier um, intersections of the entire that's city. That's where we are right now, all these shots at the, the buildings and stuff like that you've seen. That's, that's Jujang Hotel. And, and if you go there now, I mean, it's an extremely controlled intersection. There's 15 lights just for, for four different directions on, yeah. on all the different, you know, ways you can turn and everything, and it's very controlled. And when I was living there, there was, after, there was none of those. You know, they were just putting in street lights. So, I mean, you had people walking and biking and, and pushing carts any time of the day. So, so that, that was a big thing, um, you know, from going... You, you, you think that's a... Uh, specifically that, do you think that's a good change or a bad change? I or think it, it depends it on... The, the I think it depends on who you ask. If you ask somebody who hasn't, you know, wasn't coming over specifically to come into like a, a wild wild this atmosphere yeah. they might think it's great they might think it resembles more of what they're used to in, in western culture you know more structure not as crazy not as th not as many things going in a million different directions but i feel like for me i miss that you know that, that that was really cool being able to come here and you can go out any time of the night and stay out all night absolutely all night seven eight in the morning and and it's just there wasn't that many rules. The rules were like, be respectful to the locals. Don't be an asshole, basically. And then other than that, you know, you know, anything goes. And and I feel like that's been the biggest drastic change for me. Yeah. It's just I think I, it's still comparatively to the actual Western world. It's still pretty loose. For sure. It's just compared to what it was ten years ago. Yeah, it's I drastically can't, I can't different. You know, a, a, a street 
street lights, street signs, telling people when and when they can and can't walk. Um, you know, rules enforced on places staying open past a certain time. Cameras all over the street. Yeah, no, there's. Uh, you know, I think they just imposed on uh, Party Pier. I think there's like a 2 a.m. Yeah, right. Party Pier. And not that I'm, uh, you know, advocating drunk driving because I'm not. But I remember when I first got here, like Chinese people drove whenever they wanted to whereas now it's like if you have a drink in china you cannot drive you know and in the states it's like you blow a 0.08 and you get arrested here you blow 0.001 and you get arrested you're not allowed to drink at all if you're going to be driving so i just think it's it's across all aspects of society more rules i mean you go into opening a bank account you know as a foreigner you have to provide way more information than when i first set up a bank account you're setting up anything here anything formal here it's way 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 more paperwork and and application than, than when i first arrived i think that's the biggest glaring change that, that at the comes same out. time at the same time one one aspect though of being here is that if you know people it's just easier mm -hmm. so like um i i don't think that Applies as much in the Western world. Like you can't just show up in, in the U.S. or Canada and be like, "Okay, let me find this community of WeChat and then find a guy who works with the government, and then I'll pay an extra thousand RMB and I'll get this done in you know half the time that it would take somebody else." Or I don't need to provide as much paperwork as other people. I feel like yeah, that, that, still, yeah. That, that's one beautiful thing about China. It's straying away from the topic a little bit, but you know, I've always said in China, as long as you have determination a little bit of money in your pocket you can get anything done yeah. absolutely anything you know we were hitting the markets today and it's just incredible the amount of ground you can cover and the amount of people you can talk to the amount of work you can get done in a single day is just unprecedented compared to anywhere else i've been in the world you know um okay so those are the so those are the big that's not the only big thing though like this Cost, cost of living. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Costs across the board have gone up. Absolutely every aspect of life in China has gone up. So, like, for example, I live in a two-bedroom apartment. Mm -hmm. Right now, we're paying between, uh, between 1300 to 1500 No, no, no. Yeah, between 1200 to like 1300 a month with utilities. Right? Yeah. How much do you think that place would have been 10 years ago? It's a two-bedroom place. It's, it's an okay apartment. It's not a condo. It's just you know regular joint, um, good, decent-sized place. Believe it or not, that place would have been about four to five hundred dollars a month when I first got here. I don't even know if you could find a place for four to five hundred dollars a month in. You can. You can. Maybe a room. Maybe one room and a yeah, shared three find, to four bedroom find, yeah, apartment. Yeah, you could but yeah, I mean, entire apartment. it's just absolutely unbelievable. It's not just the rents, you know. I, 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 there are cities in the states or other locations where the rents will go up, but absolutely everything. So your rent's gone up, your electric's gone up, the food that you're buying's gone up, parking a car, absolutely. Every last aspect of, of living here has gone up. So let's say at Mikasa, yeah. I, I go to Mikasa so frequently, I know the prices of the menu. Um, if you were to get like, if you were to get like a quesadilla, it would be like 78 RMB. You get like about four quesadillas, and it's two, but they cut them in half. Mm -hmm. um, how much do you think that would have been? Well, I feel like the Western restaurants have always been a little bit been around that higher priced here, yeah. but. I would say, I mean, the Chinese food has drastically gone up in price. The Western food has also gone up in price, and the exchange rate has become less favorable from 10 years ago when I got here too. So yeah. the the U.S. dollar would go a lot farther. But I would say something like that. Right. I just I just ate dumplings mm -hmm. uh, yesterday. Um, it was like these fried dumplings, but like about 15 dumplings, like 25, 30 hours. Yeah, 10. Max, ten max. I remember I used to live. Came, in... came with a soup, though. Yeah. Okay, you got a small soup. I used to live in in <laughs> Yanji, which is a an area just outside of where we are now in in China. And I used to eat at this little dumpling shop, really good, handmade dumplings. This this lady and her mom would be making them all day, and she gave me a giant plate for ten RMB. Yeah. And 
and that was a, like a sizable plate. So I used to eat all the time for five to 15 hours. I can, I can get pretty big for 20, 25, like a big sort of thing, but like not five to 10 hours. Yeah, I mean, that's still inexpensive worldwide. And one other well, I mean, it's a, it's a, we're comparing China to China. Right, 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 China to China. Okay, so this, this all might be in my head, but I feel like there's a distinct point when I lived here. Because when I first came here, I would I would go anywhere to eat. I would eat anything at any time. You know, I was really interested in trying Chinese food and trying all kinds of different different types of cuisine. And um, I was very adventurous with what I ate. But I don't know if I reached a certain point where I got a little bougie or I was researching too much about what you should put into your body or... Yeah, yeah, it's coming, it's coming. Uh, or I, I legitimately hit a point in my time here where the foods that I was eating before, the cheap, cheaper option, inexpensive foods on the street, were really starting to make me sick. I think um, actually I spoke to I spoke to Mezen, who is the owner of Mikasa, mm -hmm. because of podcasting. I, t I talked to him about that, and he said the same thing. Basically, what happened was the cost of food became so expensive that the restaurants they knew that their clients. Um, the customers weren't going to want to pay significantly more for the same food. So they ended up getting cheaper food and genetically modified right. stuff. And um, that, then they start getting the street, the, the ditch oil, dig oil. Yeah, that, that, was, that was my theory all along that, you know, every aspect of Chinese culture, uh, Chinese living in here has, has gone up in money. Yeah. You know, up in cost, up yeah. and up and up. But, and you, you know, said the same thing with his restaurant. It's like they can't just increase. Right, wages aren't going up yeah. exponentially wages are going as well. Up and then it's like, okay, so, and then he said, for example, like all of his meats are imported, right? Mm -hmm. So they had like a shortage, and then their importer said, hey, we gotta increase by 15%. Yeah. He can't then just increase That'll price out your clientele, yeah. you know? So what are you gonna do? And a lot of the restaurants here started to change the quality of the food. So, you know, for me, I was eating a certain type of food for a certain price, and then that food started to make me incredibly sick. Yeah. And I had health issues and I said to change my diet completely. I couldn't eat there anymore. For me, I mean, I, like I came obviously six years after you. I was eating shitty Chinese food for a year. <laughs> but no, and I was eating like, I like a lot of Chinese food, but I was eating a lot of inexpensive Chinese food yeah. that I wouldn't say was the healthiest for a year, but then it was just quite just easy for me. I was like, okay, I wanna lose weight, I wanna exercise, I wanna have more energy. I can't be eating like all these oily foods on a daily basis because mm -hmm. they're so much cheaper. I didn't really feel sick necessarily, but I definitely felt more lethargic. Yeah, for sure. And then, then it was just like, okay, if you wanna eat salads and stuff like that, it's not really part of the Chinese diet, or you get to have like a ton of boiled, foods, which is also good, but not as, I'd prefer to eat a salad than like Most definitely. boiled cabbage. Yeah, so I mean, that's two things right there, just the cost and food quality has changed drastically. But I mean, now coming from somewhere like, like Chiang Mai to here, China is expensive. China's not cheap. Yeah, you know? right. That's that's the weird part now is that well I mean it depends though. Like, if we're talking about China, we're talking about Guangzhou and Shanghai and mm -hmm. stuff. Because like for example mm -hmm. Nantong. Right. Sure, Nantong, sure. I was looking at apartments in Nantong because I was in there I was there for ten days. You know when you're in the city for ten days you start like analyzing like <laughs> living and just like what would it be like exactly? What if I stay in here? What if I should just stay? I was like this place isn't that bad. <laughs> 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 Cinema here. <laughs> they got a movie theater. I'm good. And then across the across from my hotel, there's like these new apartments. So I was bored, and I went to the reception. I was like, "How much are those apartments?" And then they were like, they showed, they pulled it up actually on the app. Really nice places for about uh, one bedroom for about like two, three thousand RMB a month. Two bedroom for like maybe three, four hundred bucks US. Yes, four hundred bucks US, and then two bedrooms for like four, five hundred. Okay. Um, and they were like, yeah, if you sign like a two-year lease, it's cheaper. Like it's, the price was negotiable. It was like, mm. like brand new, like condos. That's a second, maybe third tier city yeah. with, you know, an extremely it's, low it's foreign two hours population. Yeah, two hours from Shanghai. So I was like, yeah, if, you, <laughs> if you're willing, it's kind of like, if you think about it, it's not the same as Chiang Mai, obviously, because Chiang Mai is way more developed and there's way more like um, Western amenities and stuff like that. But Chiang Mai is kind of like a second tier city in Thailand, no? Would you? <laughs> no? 
number one? I, I mean, compared to, compared to Bangkok. In northern Thailand, it is the number one city. It's like the capital of northern Thailand. So it'd be hard for me to say it's second tier city, but if okay. you're talking to somebody from Bangkok, they're like, oh, it's kind of like village-y yeah, that's, up that's, there. That's what you I was know thinking. What I mean? so, so I'm like, I'm thinking in the same way as where if you're a Shanghai person, mm. you're looking at Nantong like that's, you know, yeah, that's yeah, a village yeah. joint. But then Nantong, like, is... is two hours outside of Shanghai, so like if you were living in Nantong, you could still be working in Shanghai, you could still enjoy some of the Shanghai amenities or whatever, and then right. have a cheaper cost of living are you, in Shanghai. Are you telling us you're about to move to Nantong? <laughs> no, I'm just giving people <laughs> options. Okay, okay, okay. I'm giving people options in case like you're like, oh, Guangzhou is crazy expensive, Shanghai is crazy expensive compared to these places. If you want to be in China, you could still be City, right, that's just right. outside of the big cities. For sure. And then that way, like, still weekend, far less expensive, yeah. yeah. And you probably don't have a lot of these, you know, food quality issues. Yeah, and I'm talking like, I was there, man. There's, there's sushi there. There's like, you know, I found this little spot. I was kind of, I was in like a suburb, and there was a shopping mall. There was a brand new shopping mall, and they had like a Brazilian steakhouse, you know, the steakhouse places where you pay like all you can eat. Mm -hmm. They had that, they had sushi, they had juices. I was like, okay. That's why I was kind of like, I started thinking like, oh, this wouldn't be that bad. Yeah. If I just arrived in China and I was like, I want to be in China, I want to be in the manufacturing area, but I can't afford to be in Shanghai. Well. Right, that's the same thing here, right? You could probably live in some areas of Foshan, even the outskirts of Guangzhou, and you could be safe and maybe get money. Yeah. I just thought about one other thing that's that's drastically changed. So when I first got here in 2008, I feel like I was right at the tail end of one era and kind of at the forefront of another area in terms of sourcing and what we do. Like a lot of my mentors, the guys who kind of kind of showed me the ropes when I got here, they were old school sourcing agents, big operations. How do, you, how do, you, how do you, you know? How would you compare that to what you're doing? Big operations, a lot of employees, um, less transparent. You know, just 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 more old school in nature. Whereas now it's very much, um, you know, it's it, it's very thin, very light, you don't have a lot of overhead. I mean, that's kind of the, the, the world that, that, that we're in. You know, we use virtual assistants and you know, virtual employees in other parts of the world to help yep. us with certain tasks. We don't need a giant office that's that's a, a waste. There's no need for it, you know, because we have factories that warehouse stuff for us, factories that fulfill for us. I mean, when I was doing this, I had a giant office. I had a warehouse on the northern side of Guangzhou, I had all this space and, and it was just a different mentality, you know what I mean? And I think that uh, one thing that I've noticed that's changed a lot is not only the, the mentality of a lot of the people that are coming into the sourcing game, but how the Chinese factories um, are dealing with their clientele. I feel like they're very quick to adapt to the new technology. You know, so so very quick. I, I do think so. Yeah, I just you, you're gonna have to give me an example. <laughs> I, mean, I just I just mean the 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 way that they communicate, the way that things are are shipped and sent and and moved. You know, back in the day when I would go to the markets, the markets were flooded with people, yeah. absolutely flooded. People were. When you say the new technology, you're talking about the new technology in China, not necessarily the new technology like in general, but also in China. Because, yes, I mean, the factories are not on Google Docs. Right now, of course, though, they can't access Google Docs, so well, that, that's... that's VPNs exist, and, you know what I mean? It's just like, they're not, they're not really taking that step to adapt in that way. To, to, to get on with Western applications, no, but I, I mean that, you know, you take the example of what I just said, the fact that the markets were completely just packed at all times, and people were moving massive amount of stock. You could see, you know, Nigerians pulling literally hundreds of boxes off the street and, and, and hoofing them with a big crew of people directly to the airport to run back to, to wherever they're going to go. Whereas now, it's, yeah, it's all, it's all electronic, man. These people are all ordering through WeChat or QQ or whatever way that they're talking with the factories. You can walk through the market without 80 people bumping into you. You know what I mean? The, the factories and the shops are, are, have, have less overhead. Most everything they're doing is on 1688 or um, Alibaba or Taobao. Exactly, you got one person at the shop. They're just the becoming far more efficient. That's the funny thing is if you go to these places, you might 
you might walk into like this tiny store and just be like, oh, this is like a tiny little shop with a few items. Right. But in reality, it's like they have that. They have a they huge have a operation. Warehouse with, you know, sure. shipping out, you know, thousand boxes a day, and you just don't know because right. this is just a little, little shop that they have in the market because they know some people still walk in there. You know? Yeah. And with technology here. A lot of it comes from here. A lot of it's developed and made here. Um, so that's one thing. I don't know if it's a change, but I see things that become popular in America. This year, for example, they were in these Chinese streets two, three, four years ago. Well, yeah, I mean, the biggest example is Apple Pay, right? Like, Apple Pay came out, what, two years ago in the States? Mm -hmm. And then uh, WeChat Pay has been in China for like six years now. Right. And even they said, there was a study that was done, like, China was, America was the first adopter for e-commerce, but China was, like, the one that pushed it forward. Like, for they, sure. they, everybody jumped on buying products online. Like, Do you have the exact number of Singles Day? Uh, last month? Uh, oh, man, I don't remember. Something like a billion plus dollars no, within, 20 than, well, within 20 minutes. Within 20 minutes, they said I know a that billion last year, plus last dollars year they did, singles. Last year they did two billion in sales. Yeah, two billion in sales. And then this year was like five times. I'm just thinking about different technologies that came out in the states, whether it's like the the one wheel or, or the scooters. Yeah, the, the hoverboards. Know, yeah, the hoverboards or like certain car technologies, like dash cams or the the rear view mirror that has the camera in the back, stuff like that. Like I, I you know, I go on an Uber in the states and I'm starting to see some stuff like that now. Yeah. But not every car. Whereas that was five years ago that was here, you know what I mean? Yeah, for me, it's just the biggest thing is all the, all the stuff that WeChat does is being adopted by it. Yeah. Like, I'm just ripping that stuff and just saying, yeah, we just did this thing, and it's like, no one knows that it's originally from China. But yeah, um, so cost of living, tightening up of, security things like that rules yeah rules. it's a lot more it's a lot more difficult for a foreigner to operate here than when i first got here i think and in, in terms of what you have to go through to become legitimate yeah. i think that's a big a big issue uh health i feel like has gone in a little bit of a negative direction here really i do in terms there's, of there's more gyms there's more juice places there's more there's a little bit more access in the cheaper, bigger cities, but I feel like the food quality has, has gone down. Um, you know, I, I don't know the pollution numbers, but I feel like... Pollution is better. Better? It's 100% better. Like, I can actually so see... I can actually see the sky way more frequently now. I didn't see it today. I just got to Guangzhou and I saw the sky like, today. It was quite nice. Four years ago, go the entire year without pretty much seeing the sky. And then, but in the last two years, like... Been, I get surprised, like I'll come outside and there's blue skies in the summer and stuff like that. I mean, the still bad, right. but like it's it's much better. I think they were talking about it statistically, it's like 40% better in Guangzhou, Shanghai, Beijing is like a little bit lower because it was one of the worst mm -hmm. there. But they, they're actively changing that, they're, you know, they've been shutting down factories, they've been using yeah, factories right, right. to clean up their waste. And, create better filtration systems and stuff like we, we we deal with it with clients and we went productions that were shut down or delayed for two months because the factory had to implement the environmental I was just at a clothing factory today and he told me that they just had to move because they're not allowed to operate a factory in a place that they're living yeah where you live and cook, if you have any setup like that. Whereas that used to be, you know, when I first got here, that was everywhere. People were. Oh yeah, and I'm sure in a lot of places that's still the thing. But outside of, you know, on the outskirts of Guangzhou, a little bit outside the railway station, there's tons of markets, tons of, of factories, and yeah, the. The factory boss today was telling me, he said, we had to completely just set up our operation different because they'll come in and close you down yeah. if you're if you're living there and you have like, um, you know, an oven or, or stovetop, you can't you can't cook and you can't live anywhere near anywhere the factory. Yeah, in the immediate factory area, which is a huge change from Is it is it just the workers? What about the factory workers? Because the whole thing with people have to have separate, separate premises. Have so, uh, according right to, next door? 
because I mean they have the dorms. Like, right. I don't. I don't know how far it needs to be from the factory floor, but it must be in a different location, which is, you know, that's very different from when we first started operating here. Well, you know, one thing I noticed when I first came, when I first started uh, sourcing, right, was like I remember some factories that were supposedly in Shenzhen or in Guangzhou. You know, now, like, what was listed on Alibaba in terms of the address was different, like, the address was further outside the city. And I remember going and asking them, like, why? And they're like, it's too expensive for us to be in the city, and mm-hmm. we have to go outside of the city. So I feel like that's, that's another thing, is actually, you know, probably when you're around, like, the factories are probably a little bit closer to yeah. the actual city centers. It depends on the industry, yeah. you know, because the industries tend to clutter factories together in one area. So it depends on the industry, but yeah, I'd say I'd say that's definitely the case, especially with a lot of the right, especially with a lot of the factories, warehouses, and workshops that I was working with close to uh, Bayan District, close to the railway station. They've all started to to venture out a little bit farther. Just because it's, it's cheaper. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to keep up when when your costs are going up every single year. You know, you have drastic intri- increase to your costs every year. It's hard to keep up. Do you have anything else? Off the top of my head. What about the climate of uh, expense? Expense in Guangzhou versus versus non expense in Shenzhen, Hong Kong. I was much more connected with the expat community then. Yeah. Um, so my immediate network of... I feel like there's less people in Guangzhou now than there was. Less people coming to Guangzhou. Yeah, most definitely. And in our network, there's so many of us who left, left or are leaving. You know what I mean? I know over a dozen people just in the past three or four months that have moved to Vietnam. Uh, Chiang Mai, Bali, these type of digital nomad locations that are set up for people to work remotely, yeah. Um, you know, it, you, you get a lot more bang for your buck and a lot more amenities there than, than you would living here, for sure. Um, yeah, I'm way more out of touch with the, with the foreign population here than I was before. I was very entrenched in that network before, whereas now... Um, yeah, I think it's different. I don't know if there's quite as many full-time entrepreneurs here as there was five years ago. You know, I feel like it's kind of a different crowd. You have more, uh, you know, models or teachers or people taking, like, hardcore jobs. And I feel like the people who are doing our kind of work are more often passing through and living here on a full-time basis, but again, that could just be my network. I, I don't, I don't know if that's true across the board. Drew, how, how's your battery life? Seven minutes. Seven minutes. Okay. Yeah, it's already got 29 minutes, 17 seconds on the clock. Okay, I think. Already done. I think. Uh, I think what we'll do is we'll wrap the mic section and then we'll stop, change the batteries, and then. Yeah, I agree. I think that I think that um, there's definitely less expats coming actively to China. There's definitely a lot of people that have been here for a while that teach English and or doing some stuff that's similar to me, um, similar to us. I think there's people like you said passing through. I think that's a big thing. Like a lot of people find it like a, like it's like a rite of passage if you're gonna source in China to like come be in Guangzhou for three months right. or whatever. But there's a lot more people that are going to Shenzhen now. Yeah. There's a lot more people that are choosing to go live in Shanghai. And, and that's also indicative of, I think, the way manufacturing is working is that it's cheaper to make products in the middle, in the middle of China or northern China than it is. Not for everything, but it's becoming cheaper to do that stuff in northern yeah, a China. Yeah, a lot of things like are being pushed places out. Places like Nantong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I just think that it's, it's, yeah, it's changing the climate. And then I also think, like you said, how there's clusters, I think stuff is becoming more specialized. Mm-hmm. So you have way more places where like Guangdong used to make everything, and now it's like, okay, Guangdong does this, and then, you know, this area, Jiangsu does this, and, you know, Qingdao does this, and yeah. of course they always, they always had their special, specialized stuff that they were doing, but I think it's becoming even more specialized now, and then, you know, that, and it's part, partly because of the cost. For sure. Right? 
One last thing I'll throw in that's changed a lot is um, a lot of established businesses, especially foreign-run established businesses that were here, you know, the entire first seven years that I spent in China are starting to move out and are starting to leave, get shut down. Uh, do you know anybody that's been shut down? Woolies might have just been shut down, but that's a different conversation. We'll save it. We'll save that for, for another time. But I think a lot of people just decided to move on for whatever reason. Um, maybe they were getting squeezed too hard. Maybe they made their money and it's time to get out. Maybe they weren't making the money they thought they were going to make. But you know, there were so many places that we used to go religiously. You know, we were always every Wednesday we'd go to this spot, or you know, we'd always find time to meet friends at this location. Uh, they're not there anymore. You know, it's new restaurants and new owners and new style, new the locations big, the in the city. Macaulay's. Yeah, Macaulay's, the brew. Any Macaulay's, I saw the writing on the wall. Mm. Four years ago. I never liked I know you guys were... Don't hold back, bro. No, no. <laughs> I must never feel that place with you. What? What's up? It was whack. It was whack. It was whack. It was old school. I was like, that Macaulay's was the bar you could clearly be like, this is the first bar that ever existed in China. This is the first foreign bar. Not all of our viewers are in their 20s, man. Yeah. Got some old heads like me that like an old school Irish pub, all right? Yeah, there's better Irish, old school all right, Irish pubs. All right, all right, all right. That was the demographic that was in there. <laughs> and yeah, when you walked in there, <laughs> the crowd. you walked in there was 40 plus year olds hanging out just washed. washed. I'll be there pretty soon, so I can't, I can't, can't hate too hard. But yeah, I'd say I'd say those aspects are the biggest changes that I've seen. Um, I can't really say if it's for the better or the worse. It's just change, you know. In terms of me being in China, like I mean, there hasn't obviously been that much change. I think the biggest thing is I have started to notice cost of living going up significantly. I think one advantage I do have is like the apartment that I live in. I've been there for three years, so they don't. They haven't increased the rent to me that quite that much. They increased it by like, like twenty dollars or something per month. Um, per month, per year. Per month. Twenty dollars per month. Yeah. So they increased it twenty bucks, maybe thirty. I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, "Oh, you know, cost of living is up." Over yeah, uh, the course of the year, that's that's fairly. Yeah, but I mean, it compares it to what I've seen with other people. Like yeah, one of my, true, one of true, my friends. True, true, true. Apartments. He was in a three-bedroom. They might take it up 20 percent. Yeah, he, he was in a three-bedroom, and over the course of three years, they went from being eight thousand to twelve thousand. You know, five percent They went from being uh, a little bit over fifteen hundred to like two thousand dollars a month within the course of two years. Actually, it wasn't even three years. It was just, uh, so, and I've seen other places that have even doubled cost of rent so my, my, my situation is pretty good um, but just in general like yeah, I've, I've noticed that they're getting more expensive just even like ordering food and stuff like that like, even from the cheapest restaurants even freaking McDonald's man like McDonald's McDonald's? yeah McDonald's has gone up like uh, I used to order McDonald's breakfast sometimes I think it's gone up by like it's, it used to be 18 or I think it's like 26 now so like, about, like 7 or I don't think you should be eating McDonald's for breakfast, bro. I used to order McDonald's for breakfast sometimes, I said. Sometimes. Just looking out I don't eat bre- I don't eat breakfast <laughs> on a regular basis. I'm talking about sometimes when I know I'm not going to eat anything. All right. I'm traveling to a factory. Sorry, you said throw that out. And I, got, I get coffee for free with that situation. Mainly I order for um, anyways, but like, yeah, so I just noticed like a lot of different things, and also the, uh, like, wages, stuff. Yeah, for sure. Every year, and then they cover my next one office, every year, like, I think last year they increased it by 15%. More and more demand. And I think next year it's supposed to increase again by 12 or something like that. You know, so it's like, uh, the minimum wage was something like 2800 three years ago, I think the minimum wage right now is 3600 It's not easy for a business in, in, in that environment. You know that your costs are going to drastically increase year to year. When does it stop, you know? How do you forecast? Well, I, yeah, I think I think, I think it's harder for factories. I think it's... Most I think definitely. Factories most are definitely. the ones who, who suffer the most of this. Most definitely. Because 
like with a business like ours, we can still grow, and we don't necessarily need to have more employees to do that. Like we right. can, we can just systemize more and use more efficient ways to maximize the amount of time that we get out of each person. Right. Whereas with a factory, it's like it's very much labor intensive. The alternative is they want to systemize is they have to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars into machine. Yeah. Which is it's not the same as us where it's like I can look at I can create SOPs, I can come I can get an application that does, you know, twenty percent of what another person does. And back in the day when I first started a factory worker would make a very low wage, so 1,800 RMB a month. I remember something like that, up to like 3,000 RMB a month maybe would be the tops, but they would pay for everything for those factory workers while they were They're still paying for everything. Right, but that's well, what I'm saying. Right, you gotta pay a higher wage, and then that cost of living has also drastically increased. <clears throat> By the way, the minimum for the wage, factories. the minimum wage is funny because the minimum wage of factory workers hasn't gone up that much. Like it was, maybe it was eighteen hundred. Now it's like two thousand five hundred. I bet you. Uh, yeah, let's see. Actually, I was, no, I was just talking to uh, two weeks ago. I was with the factory boss in Guangzhou. I took him out for for lunch. Um, actually, he's a very interesting guy. Uh, he makes high-end cigar whiskey and packaging. Um, he's got a factory in Dongwan, he's got another factory that makes like grandfather clocks in, in Shanghai. And he said at one stage they were the number one manufacturer for grandfather clocks in the world. Um, super successful guy, he used to study in, in Newcastle in England. And took, he was a civil, civil engineer, came to came back to China after working in the UK for like 10 years. They started multiple factories. And, French restaurant, like very smart guy, interesting character. So he was just telling me about that. He was talking about the minimum wage thing, and he was like, he said the same thing. It used to be 1800, now it's like 25, 2800. However, even though that's the minimum wage, no one wants. Right, you can't hire sure. somebody at the minimum. That's the minimum. You, like the minimum wage for our industry is 3,600 RMB. I don't pay anybody. I've never paid anybody. And I'll, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I know that one thing that happened is a lot of these factory workers. Even if the amount of money they were making in Dongguan Shenzhen went up a little bit and was more than they were making before, they might be able to make a similar wage in their hometown now. Yeah, exactly. You know, so if you can make three thousand a month in Shenzhen, but make twenty four hundred a month in your hometown, and live at home and right, probably be around your kids, and, and you, you know, have, have more family close by, then it's a no brainer. You know. So it's becoming. It's, I've also noticed in the last four years, it's becoming more difficult for factories to retain their workers. Yeah. Um, they have to pay more money. The, the, the cost of manufacturing in China is going up. There's one thing that always happens uh, in China is, is factory workers usually have like a yearly contract, yeah. and then once Chinese New Year hits, everybody go back, goes back home. And that was a huge problem with a lot of factors. They wouldn't know how many workers were actually going to come back. And no, it's it's even less. Like right. it's, it's becoming more difficult for them to retain their workers. So um, those are those are I think major things. I said cost of living. So then what's happening is interesting because when I first came, it was like everything's so cheap. Now I'm beginning to look at surrounding places like the Philippines, like Thailand, and it's like, well, for the amount of money that I'm paying right now, like, I could get a fucking rooftop, like I could get uh, what do you what do you call it, like a rooftop condo or whatever, a uh, penthouse. Like, again, like a penthouse. See how our boy Nick Naran's living in Medellin. Uh... <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, he's with like. Five the point is there's a lot of other places where you could live very very well for the same amount of money that you yeah. spend in here so yeah i mean there's that transition but i think as you were talking earlier one thing i was thinking about is i think some of this stuff in terms of the government tightening up the things and um, you know the cost of living becoming higher and then ultimately then foreigners leaving because of that stuff i think you think some of it's on purpose I think they want to squeeze out all of the people that were in China making, you know, a couple thousand, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a month and getting by and just, you know, scrapping. They want to get those people out of it. And I, I get that at the same time for the government. They want people to take out the riffraff. Essentially, yeah. Like they're trying to they're trying to change the image of China. They don't, I don't think they want China to be viewed as this wild, wild east place that people could just come 
do whatever. Um, I think they want to be viewed the same way that people view Western countries, which is the most developed, civilized. You know, if you go there, you better be doing big, big, big things. That's why they they're granting, um, giving government grants to people that are, you know, in tech yeah. in China. Um, and yeah, I I, I, I definitely agree. It's, they're squeezing, they're tightening, but I think they're doing it on purpose, and they want to change the image of the country. Now. Is positive? Not necessarily because, yeah, I mean, it's kind of fucked up that some people just get kicked out or companies like whatever, but like, I, like what happened to my colleagues, you know, it's like these are somewhat of institutions in the city and um, I feel like the, the government maybe isn't recognizing the fact that some of those places are important and maybe provide an entry to, to the city. I don't think they value culture as much at all. From that. At all, yeah, there's been so. I, that, that's a good point. When I was talking about what I've seen change, that was maybe one thing that I failed to mention. Is not, those weren't just places that I like to go. Those are places that had, had feeling, man. Like you walk in and they had. I didn't like Macaulay's in terms of being there, I didn't like the food or whatever, sure. but like I did. There was an affinity when I'm walking past the area and I see Macaulay's and like, it's a symbol for sure. Jones. Yeah, I mean, I go back to certain areas of Chicago and it's like, oh man, this place, it's the same vibe that was there 10 years ago. It's an institution. Like, you get treated a certain way when you go there. There's a certain type of quality that you expect when you walk through the door. And I just feel like a lot of those places that were here and had that are, are, are gone. And, and, and it wasn't necessarily their choice to leave, like you're saying, they, they were pushed out. And the other thing, I, going back to the cultural thing, is like, okay, business is great, like, I mean, obviously China's making a ton of money, but at the same time, it's like, if I'm, there are people that used to come to China once or twice a year, and Macaulay's and the brew, although the brew, the owners are still the same, they just rebranded to, what's the name of it now? Benditos. It's a Mexican restaurant, it's really good. But, uh, like people, those are places where it's like they would come to China and they would do their business and they want to go to Macaulay's afterwards. Yeah. And they're spending money and maybe sometimes they even stay an extra day just so that they can go and have a night out and, and be at these places. Yeah, and that's why I say that they're not yeah, that culture as much, which I think is, 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 a, is a negative. And I'm not, I'm not sure when they'll start to see or recognize this, but I think it's, it's a big negative. So that's maybe one big thing, even the, like you're talking about going out, uh, you know, being able to be out on China or whatever, it's not going to the spot after the spot after the spot. Uh, yeah, that's that's a dying thing, and for me, I don't I don't go out that much anyways. I go like once a month or so, whatever. But at the same time, it was nice that that was, was there, and that, that was a big thing for me when I first came to China, because obviously, you know, last call, Canada's 2 o'clock, morning, 1.30, you're out by 2.30, 3 a.m. There's a lot of freedom being here. Like, I remember, like, my first couple weeks here, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning, and I was like, oh, man, we're ready, we're done, guys? It's been a good night. They're like, no, man. We're just we're getting started. Even, we haven't even got to the nightclub. We're just scraping the was, surface. Yeah, I was like, I thought this was the nightclub. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, those are things that are changing, which is unfortunate, but I understand why it's happening. I don't necessarily agree with everything, but I understand why it's happening. Um, I don't know if there's anything else for me in particular. Development, like, I think, actually, one interesting thing that I've noticed with the new generation of employees is, you know, the people that, I think any employee that's under the age of 23, any Chinese person that's under the age of 23, are way more independent, way more, um, they way more want to be fulfilled by their work and they, they want to make their own decisions, they want to be, you know, more autonomous from, you know, the, the previous generation of employees where previous generation of employees was always like, tell me what to do, I like, need very clear instructions, and I want to do this and do that, whereas I've noticed like the younger generation is more like, I know, I want to try and figure it out. Right, and I feel like we find more people that are excited and interested to work with us and want to be a part of a startup and want to be a part of like an innovative business or concept rather than the older generation which was more like I can get in with 
Chinese state-owned company, PNG, that is the end of the world. My next 40 years are set. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny because we, uh, one of the projects that we're working on right now, um, going back to Nantong, we hired a guy in Nantong who used to work for the factory that we're dealing with, and he quit because he wasn't, he felt like he wasn't being fulfilled in his, his job at the factory. And he was in the factory working seven days, six days a week. So he was like, I want to work for a foreign company because if I work for a foreign, I can still do the same stuff. He's still interested in what he was doing. He just didn't want to be more flexibility. Yeah, more flexibility. And he wanted to be a little bit more independent. Now that he's working for us, he's like able to have his input and suggest things. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. And, you know, sometimes I reject things or whatever. But there's a way more... Uh, control over what he does on a daily basis rather than before when he was working in the factory. And I was talking to the factory owner, and the factory owner was like, "It's, he's like, it's so weird these days because nobody wants to work. Everybody wants to be in office. He's like, nobody wants to be in the factory. For <laughs> he had to renovate his his office. He had to renovate his office, and he's having to renovate the factory floor because." people were quitting because of working conditions, right? Yeah. So that, that's another big thing is just, you know, the younger generation of Chinese people just did not have it. I'm not playing that shit. <laughs> I mean, ping pong tables and, and, and flexible work schedule like Google or else I'm out. You're gonna have somebody do it my laundry. <laughs> where's the PlayStation 4? Where's the break room? <laughs> It's going to be interesting. Uh, I'm interested to see what's going to happen. Is every factory going to become like a Facebook headquarters? Yeah, I always say that you know, I've been saying for the past five years I'm very interested to see what the landscape looks like here ten years from now and I still hold that. You know, I'm still thinking, thinking about that because like no other place I've been, things change very rapidly. You know, unlike any other environment I've been in, the change comes quick and, you know, I, I, I feel like the Chinese people in, in general adapt pretty, pretty well to a rapidly changing environment. The thing is, like, what's, what's happening in China is essentially they're going through an accelerated version of what's happened in the West. Like, I always say, like, I felt that China was in 2025 technology and development wise in big cities. But culturally, they were like in the 60s. <laughs> now it's like, I, th I feel like they jumped 10 years or three years. For sure. Like, culturally, they like, I'm talking about this generation. This generation is now acting more like millennials, right? Like, they're more. Like, oh, I, I don't like working more than 40 hours a week. I don't want to do that. I want to have an iPhone and I want to be able to, you know, travel with my friends on the weekend. Like, yeah. You know, it's all that stuff. So the amount prefer. of time to get to that mindset is not, not that long. It's not that long. Yeah, it's literally like we have employees that are 25 years old and 23 years old. And there's a big difference between the sure. way those guys think and the way sure. the other ones think. It's, it's, it's almost more like whoever, when they started working, what was the climate versus when they're starting to work now? What's, what's the climate? Yeah. You know, and it's, just, it's very different, and I find it fascinating. Um, yeah, I think that anybody is coming to China right now just expected not to be as cheap as it was. Still cheaper than in a big city in the West, um, and I, I think it's easier actually a lot of times to live here now because more people speak English, becoming more Westernized. Chinese people in the West, there's more Chinese people that are studying outside of China, coming back, starting businesses. Um, that's also a very fascinating thing. It's like there's less expats moving here, but I find I meet more late 20s, early 30s people that are you know, Chinese born and then go live and study abroad and then come back and start a company. And they're trying to bring innovation to whatever industry they're in. Which is interesting. Even like when I go to northern China and some of these other countries, I meet guys who've like lived in the US for six years, came back, or maybe even grew up in the States and then decided to come back and decided to come here sort of something. That's just like that's going to the awareness of the changes of that like the next five five years. Good to see you, good to see you. What's going on? They used to be Chinese in China. <laughs> Source and table, my weak one.
bi-weekly in Chiang Mai. We're going to be plugging that um, in, in the last video that we did along with this. If you're interested in joining the online group, being part of the community, we'd love to have you. Uh, we're going to have day-to-day -day information being sent back and forth. We're going to have weekly live AMAs and uh, just info sessions with either both me and Rico or just one of us. So, yeah, get on that. We look forward to talking to you guys more in the future. And, uh, yes, we're going to check out the Day in the Life Day 1, Day 2 videos out as well. You know, reach out to us. That's podcast. That's firstfinasia.com. Firstfinasia.com slash made in China for the show notes. And we're signing off from the 70th floor. Park Hyatt. Rico, China Mike. Cheers. House of the Many Face God. House of the Many Face God. Face. Many Face God. Face, face, face. Face, face, face.